Well, good evening, uh, and a warm welcome uh, to our time together. I'm going to begin with some words from uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, where Peter is uh, preaching of Jesus, and he says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. He's the only way of salvation. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And our first song speaks of Jesus as having the name which is high over all. Jesus, the name, high over all. Well, the fourth uh, verse in the song that we've uh, just sung says, Oh, that mankind might taste and see the riches of his grace. The arms of love that compass me would all the world embrace. And our Bible reading this evening speaks of all nations, uh, all the world, uh, praising our Lord with gladness. It comes from Psalm 67, so if you have uh, a Bible, please turn uh, to Psalm 67, uh, and Annette's going to come and read that for us. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us 
so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvests. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Well, let's turn uh, to God in prayer uh, with those words uh, from Psalm 67 in our minds. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are uh, a God who will be glorified not just by one kind of people, but your blessing comes on all nations. And we can look forward to the day when people from every uh, nation and tribe with all languages will be praising you and singing of your salvation with gladness. We thank you that we have the privilege uh, of your, as your people of being able to pray with the psalmist, may the peoples praise you, and that we're able to participate in your mission to bring in that day when people from all nations will gather in praise of your name. And we want to take the time this evening, Heavenly Father, to pray for the specific works that we support that are sharing your salvation with people from different nations uh, in the world from our own. Uh, we we want to pray for the Albanian Evangelical Mission. Uh, and we ask that you would provide for their needs so that they could continue to see churches planted in Albania and that they would be able to see uh, through their work uh, leaders raised up from that nation to continue making disciples uh, there in Albania. Uh, we pray for Pastor Training International. We thank you for the recent uh, conference that they had. Uh, and we pray that the pastors who were there would benefit from the training they've received as they preach in their churches. We pray that through the preaching of those pastors, your people will be built up through the preaching of your word in Uganda. And we pray the same for other places uh, where training is happening and training is coming up, like in Ghana and places in Asia. We pray for taste. We thank you that they have their new uh, rig and we pray that that would prove to be a great blessing to their ministry and enable them to share the gospel through the work uh, of drilling uh, boreholes that they are doing. And we pray for the success uh, of the tasty desserts that's coming up here in our church as we raise money for that work. And we pray for the Margets in Mali. We pray that you would continue to bless their work of translating the scriptures into the Bambara language. Uh, help them to translate the, 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 the right books at the, of the Bible at the right time. Uh, we pray for the uh, proclaimer boxes to continue to be well used in the listening groups. We ask that the Bambara language would be one of those languages uh, that we uh, read in the scriptures of, uh, of people praising you. May we hear people from that language praising your name, O God. But we pray as well for people where, where we live as well. Uh, we pray uh, for the plans for the Holiday Bible Club coming up. And we ask that you would send children to us as we invite them. And we ask that your name will be praised by the little children. And that throughout Pelsall, the glories of Christ would reverberate even through the mouths of infants. We thank you that you are worthy of this praise and ask that our lips would join that of many other tongues in the praise of your glorious name. 
And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, our next song uh, continues that theme of Psalm 67. In fact, it's uh, really a version of that psalm. Uh, May the peoples praise you. If you would turn uh, with me to Matthew uh, chapter 28. And this evening we're going to be in verses 16 to 20 uh, of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Coming to the end uh, of uh, Matthew's account of the life, uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've seen over the last few weeks 
the witnesses uh, of his death, witnesses of his burial, uh, witnesses of his resurrection. Uh, And here we're going to read uh, how we are called to be worldwide witnesses uh, of his, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection ourselves. So Christ is now risen from the dead, uh, and he meets his disciples in Galilee, and he gives us here his parting words for them, uh, words known as the Great Commission. So let's read uh, verses 16 uh, to 20. Uh, this is the word of God uh, that we're about to read. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, final words are often important words, aren't they? If you knew that you were leaving someone or uh, a group of people permanently, or even if you were going away for a very long time, uh, you would want those final words that you are going to say to count. And Jesus' final words here to his disciples pass on his mission to be a blessing to all nations and that all nations would become part of his people. He gives them what I've entitled this message, an all-encompassing mission. And I say this because notice how many times in the verses we've just read, the word all is used by Jesus as he commissions his disciples. And it's in fact used more than perhaps we even recognize when we first read it, uh, because he has all authority, uh, we are to go to all nations, uh, we are to teach them to obey effectively all things that Jesus has said. Jesus is with us always, and he's with us until, uh, and you can translate it literally this way, for all of the days, which is another way of saying to the end of the age. So the Christian mission that Jesus gives us is an all-encompassing mission, uh, just like uh, all of the Christian life, where God calls us to love him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And the reality of the resurrection and the life to come means that this mission should be all-encompassing, not just for uh, 11 disciples, but for all of Jesus' disciples, for all of time. So in looking at these verses, we're going to see four uh, parts of this commission that Jesus gives his disciples. Uh, We're going to see the people of the mission, so who is commissioned here. Uh, The power of the mission, so why is it possible. Uh, The program of the mission, and then finally the presence during the mission. So first of all, we see the people of the mission. So notice there in verse 16 that there were 11 disciples. Uh, Notice that there were uh, no longer 12. Uh, Judas Iscariot has now gone. There are 11 disciples left. And the last time we saw these 11 disciples in Matthew's gospel, they were a bunch of frightened men who had run away and abandoned Jesus But they obeyed the word of Jesus given through the women who had seen him alive and they went to Galilee as they had been told to. So at this point, the women had seen Jesus risen. They had gone to the disciples, told them he is alive. He has said to go ahead of, uh, he's gone ahead of you to Galilee, go there and meet him. And obviously uh, they had obeyed the words of these women uh, who had told them to go. And it's interesting that Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. 
Because you might think if he's risen in Jerusalem, why not just hang about there and see the disciples in Jerusalem? Why go uh, all the way to Galilee, which was a good 80-odd miles away, in order to give him his final words there? Well, Jesus' ministry had begun in Galilee, but Galilee was a despised place among the Jewish people. Back in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus begins his ministry uh, quoting Isaiah about Galilee. In chapter 4 and verse 15, we read this, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so Galilee was despised, in part because it was full of foreigners. But Jesus had come to bring his light into that place where there were lots of people from foreign lands. And it was appropriate that Jesus goes back to Galilee where he began in a place full of foreigners to commission his disciples to go to all nations. And we'll see that more clearly uh, in verse 19. But notice also how Jesus tells them to go, uh, or Jesus met them there on a mountain. Uh, We didn't hear this from the angel, uh, but obviously somehow that was included in the instructions to the women. And it's important to note that because mountains in the Bible are important places for receiving revelation from God. So the law in Exodus was given on Mount Sinai. The temple mount was the Mount of Moriah. It was on the mount that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus revealed himself to his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so here it's significant that Jesus meets his disciples on a mountain to give his final words of commission to his disciples. That's telling us that these words are an important and significant revelation from God. They are history-changing words. They are era-defining. And in verse 17, we read that the disciples saw him. So now in, in Matthew's Gospel, it's not just the women that have seen him, but here the disciples see Jesus themselves for the first time. Uh, Jesus had promised in verse 10 that the disciples would see him, and here they are, looking at Jesus, the man who died but is now alive. How do they respond? Well, it reads in verse 17, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So first of all, notice they worship him. Uh, Worship here is adoration, uh, a falling at his feet kind of thing. They were amazed at being there, as you would be if the last time you had seen Jesus was either his arrest or see him crucified. And there they are standing before him alive in the flesh. This wasn't as before a ghost. It wasn't a ghost, as I've explained before. This was a physical human being who once had died, but now was alive again. And so they fall, uh, and, in, and well, it doesn't say they fall, but they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And that's the appropriate response to the risen Lord Jesus, worship. And again, we can be so familiar with the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we lose the wonder of it. But here, the disciples see him risen, and they worship him. But interestingly, there's another reaction they, some doubted him. Some doubted. Now we can perhaps understand worship. That's a, a right response, an understandable response to the risen Lord Jesus. Why do some doubt? Well, the word for doubt here doesn't mean that they were wondering whether he was really alive. It's not casting doubt on the resurrection. It was more of a hesitation as to how to respond to him. Remember that the last time they had seen Jesus was outside of the garden when he had been arrested. They had fled and abandoned him. This was, if you like, 11 complete and utter failures. They'd all let Jesus down. And they wanted to worship him. 
but would he accept their worship? Does he need to give them a telling off first? Well, some doubted or hesitated. Uh, when I was a teenager, um, I, I uh, drove my mum's car to a place I wasn't supposed to drive it, and I wrote off the car. It was completely smashed. She was on a holiday. Uh, I'd ruined the car, and I had to face my mum. And when I saw her after writing off the car, I wasn't sure how to respond to my mum. In one sense, I thought, I wonder whether she's going to want to give me a hug because uh, I nearly died in this car accident. But at the same time, I was wondering, what are the consequences for this going to be? I've just written off her car when I wasn't supposed to. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. As it happened, my mum uh, did give me a hug. She was glad I was okay, but that I did get a right telling off and I was never allowed to drive her car again. But they were hesitating here, because how is Jesus going to respond? But look what Jesus does in verse 17, or verse 18. The first uh, five words. Then Jesus came to them. He does a beautiful thing. He comes to them. They were hesitating, wondering whether they would be accepted because of their failures, but Jesus comes to them, and coming to them will remove their doubts because he's about to commission them. He comes to a group of failures, and he gives them the greatest mission in the whole universe. Who are the people of the mission? The people of the mission are the failures that Jesus has chosen to be his followers. And that includes all of us. This mission is not just for the eleven. There was no doubt others on the mountain. As we look at the program of the mission, we see that the eleven can't and don't fulfill it all on their own. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that lots of other Christians, in fact all the other Christians, are involved in this mission. The people of the mission are the disciples of the king. And that includes you and it includes me. If you like, we can put ourselves on this mountain in the place where Jesus comes to us. Now, you may think you're not good enough. You may think that you're a failure. You may think that Jesus would never want to use you, that you cannot possibly fulfill any kind of mission for Jesus. Now, in some senses, you're right. We are all failures, but you're wrong if you think Jesus doesn't include you as his people in this mission. He comes to you and he comes to me and he uses us to do his work. And by the way, Jesus only ever uses failures. Failures who have been forgiven and empowered by his spirit to fulfill his mission. So as we look at the rest of these verses, let's be assured this is not just for super saints, for foreign missionaries, for paid church workers, this is for all Christians. The people of the mission are the disciples of the king. But Jesus doesn't just send out his failed disciples in their own power. The first of the alls is found in verse 18. Here we see the power of the mission. So at the end of verse 18, Jesus says, says these words which kick off his commission to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now the word for authority could also be translated as power. It's the power to do whatever one likes. No limits whatsoever. Now all of us have uh, authority of some kind over some realm. Uh, that might be just, uh, if you're a young person, the realm of your bedroom you have some authority in your room. Uh, you can say to your brother or sister, no, you can't come in here. Uh, some of us have authority in our homes. Some people have authority to do a job, uh, however they like, maybe. But nobody in any realm has limitless authority. No one has the power to do anything that they like. If nothing else, the law of the land limits us. 
And even for those who might be a dictator over their land, the law of nature limits you from doing anything you would like. But Jesus' authority here is the power to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, with no limits of doing what he wants and no limits of going where he wants. He can do anything, anywhere with no limits whatsoever. And and we see that in heaven and on earth. There's no uh, boundary to the realm of the authority of Jesus, the power to do whatever he pleases. Uh, There is a, a question you might be asking in this verse. Notice how the authority is given to him. So you may be wondering, does this mean then that he did not have authority before the resurrection? Well, Jesus has always, even before he was raised, been fully God. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we've read that Jesus spoke and acted with authority. But before the resurrection, that authority was only exercised by him in the small area of the world where he lived. Now, as the risen Lord Jesus, that authority is exercised universally in heaven and on earth everywhere. Uh, There are echoes here of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, In that chapter, we read of one like the Son of Man in Daniel 7 verse 14, who was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is the one with all that authority. He's the one who we're to worship. And the first word of verse 19 is the word, therefore. And I see three ways that understanding Jesus' authority helps us, therefore, fulfill the program that he is going to give us. First of all, understanding the authority of Jesus, his power to do anything, anywhere, through anyone, means it should fuel our obedience. It should fuel our obedience to fulfill the program. If Jesus has all authority, when he gives his people a commission, it means that his people ought to listen and obey the one who is speaking. Because Jesus is in authority just like a king gives orders to his subjects. You can't just not be involved. That's disobeying the voice of the king. So knowing he has all authority should fuel our obedience. Secondly, it should fuel our confidence in the success of the program. If Jesus has power to do whatever he likes, where he likes, the mission he gives us is not going to fail, is it? He will have a people from all nations worshipping him because he has authority to make sure that that mission is a success. We know it will succeed. doesn't mean everything we do, by the way, will be a success, but it does mean we can have confidence that what we do in the end will have the success uh, of this mission being fulfilled. So it fuels our obedience, it fuels our confidence, and thirdly, it should fuel our boldness, our boldness to speak out for Christ in our world. Because we don't speak by our own authority, We speak in the authority of the king who sent us. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read how we are ambassadors for Christ. We speak on his behalf with his words. So all authority means we have confidence, we have um, uh, obedience, we have confidence and boldness to fulfill the mission he gives us. But what is this mission? Well, in verses 19 and 20, we see the program for the mission. Uh, What we see in these verses is one main thing broken down into three parts. The main thing is the the what and the three parts of the how. And the one main thing is in verse 19, and that is to make disciples of all nations. That's what the mission is, to make disciples of all nations. So the what of the program is making disciples. Now, a disciple is one who hears 
understands and obeys Jesus' teaching. Uh, So in Matthew 12, uh, verses 48 to 50, Jesus uh, says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, or my disciple. So a disciple is one who hears and obeys the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the mission Jesus gives his disciples is with his authority to make more disciples who are defined as those who do the will of the Father. And this is important to understand because often we see uh, mission or evangelism as just trying to get people to make decisions to follow Jesus. Now, there's a point where someone has to make a decision, but that's not where the program ends. We don't just have to go into the world and get people to put their arm behind their back and get them to say, I believe in Jesus. Making disciples is more than just making a decision. It's a lifelong commitment to growing more and more like Jesus Christ. And so as well as bringing people into God's kingdom in the first place through sharing the gospel, this mission is also enabling and helping disciples to grow as Christians and grow in their maturity uh, as they follow Jesus. So it's not just about uh, going to get people to become Christians, It's helping each other grow as Christians as well. The who of the program, though, is all nations. We're to make disciples of all nations. Now, when we read the word nation here, I wonder what you think. You may be thinking uh, of of different states and different flags. Uh, That's often what comes to mind when we think of nations. Uh, But it isn't really what Jesus is meaning here. Uh, Most of the flags weren't even invented when he said these words. When Jesus speaks of nations, he's thinking more, uh, or he's speaking more of people groups, different languages in different places all over the world. Uh, We can think of it as different cultures, uh, different uh, skin colors, different uh, types of people uh, in, in different places all over the world. Because nation states do change. But the mission doesn't change. And what's going on here is really a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Where God said these words to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples of the, on earth will be blessed through you. This was how God was going to reverse the curse on humanity and reverse the tragedy of the Tower of Babel where the languages were confused so the people scattered. He was going to bring a people together in a new way through Abraham's descendants, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his followers. And we read of the end of the program in Revelation chapter 7. Where John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I think it's wonderful when we see a a small picture of this in our church uh, because we live in an area uh, of the the country and of the world where there are people from all different nations uh, who are able to come to our church. Uh, And we see a a small picture of what's going on here where different people uh, from different lands with different languages and different cultures join together in one place worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. And also, just as an aside, here is the real answer uh, to the scourge of racism that we see in our world, isn't it? The church of Jesus Christ is the place where those uh, sinful barriers 
and prejudices are broken down and there is true unity. The world has all sorts of uh, programs, political and otherwise, to try and fix the problems of racism, but God's solution is the church of Jesus Christ. So let's make sure that as a church we are welcoming to those from different cultures and backgrounds, people who are different from us, that we welcome them in and enable them to join us in praising the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're a small picture of what the fulfillment of this mission will be like at the end. So making disciples of all nations is the main thing, but Jesus tells us how to do that in three parts. And the three parts are go, baptize, and teach. Go, baptize, and teach. So first of all, we, we, we read that we are to go and make disciples. So God intends for Christians to use initiative to go to places where disciples need to be made. Now this includes going to places all over the world. So uh, literally going away from where you are. Uh, but it's not how most of God's people are fulfilling his commission. Because most of God's people are told to go to places where they already are. So to our workplaces, going to our schools, going to our families, going to our neighbors, going to our places of leisure and to our friends. Wherever people are, that's where we are to go. And we are to go even to the church and help people in the church to mature in their faith in Jesus Christ. So a part of the fulfillment of the command to go is to also be involved in the sending of others as well. So praying for and financially supporting other disciples to go is also part of fulfilling this commission Jesus gives us. So this isn't just about, I can only fulfill the commission if I go off to another culture. We also are to go even to the places where we already are at and make disciples. So that's the first part, go. Uh, secondly, we are to baptize them. Now, baptism is more than just going through a ceremony. Uh, Jesus doesn't here just mean uh, once you've gone, make sure you have a baptism service. Uh, it, it is uh, a ceremony, an ordinance of the church, but it's more than that. It's a matter of obedience that involves a commitment to repentance. So baptism initiates uh, people into the family of God. It identifies them as a Christian and it shows the watching uh, people that commitment that's been made and also shows what Jesus has done for them and us in his death and burial and resurrection. So baptism pictures the salvation that God has given to us. And we see that a little bit in the way that Jesus says that we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because all parts of the Godhead are involved in the salvation of sinners. So the Father uh, chooses, the Son atones for our sins, and the Spirit convicts us of our need of salvation. So all of the Godhead is involved in the salvation of people. And we show that through the baptism uh, that we go through. So we are to go and we are to baptize. But thirdly and finally in, 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 in what we're to do is we are to teach. Notice that in verse 20. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So making disciples involves teaching disciples. The them of verse 20 I read as those who have been baptized. So what God's plan is, is to help people mature in their following of Jesus. And that maturity comes through the teaching of Jesus. Notice the, another all here, teaching everything or all the things I have commanded you. So we are to teach what Jesus taught. Now that doesn't mean that therefore... We make disciples only by reading the, the words of Jesus in the Gospels. 
Jesus is called the Word of God. All of the Scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, all point to him, and he fulfills all of the Scripture. The point here is that we are to teach all of God's Word to all of God's people. We not only teach the parts of God's Word that align with our culture, we teach all of it. Even the bits that perhaps we don't uh, think will go down well with those we're speaking it to, we teach all of God's Word. And that's why in our church normally we do go through books of the Bible, because that means that as we're going through those, we can't pick and choose what we teach. We get all of God's teaching, uh, even the bits that people might not want to hear. But teaching is not just preaching from the pulpit here. As with all of this program, it's for all of God's people. And so we're all involved in a number of ways in teaching here. Uh, We might be involved by teaching our children at home. We can be involved by having conversations with people about Jesus. Uh, And let me encourage you in that, by the way. When we're uh, talking to one another, let's make sure that not all of our conversation is just about trivialities like the weather. Let's speak to one another about Jesus Christ, about what he's teaching us. Uh, One way we can do that is uh, through our home groups, talking to one another there as we dig deeper into what's being preached uh, from the pulpit. Uh, We can teach others by being an example of living out what the Bible says, teaching with our lives what the Bible is proclaiming. And even just reading the Bible with somebody is uh, one way of, of helping in making disciples and teaching them. So all of us can be involved, indeed all of us must be involved in some way in this commission of making disciples. It may take time for some of us to think and pray about how we can do that, but it is a command to all of God's people. The Christian life is not about your program. The Christian life is about getting involved in God's program. And God's program is making disciples of all nations. But it would be pretty miserable and impossible if we are just left on our own to do this work. It sounds daunting, doesn't it? It is daunting. And it is impossible if we were just on our own. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us on our own. His final words in this gospel show us the presence for the mission. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, uh, at, at the birth of Jesus, Matthew quotes from Isaiah and says that he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus reminds us at the end of the gospel here that even after he has gone to heaven, he is still God with us. Jesus remains God with us even after he has gone to heaven. He doesn't leave us alone. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 20. He says, surely, or be certain, I am with you. Now, throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, God often commissions his pe- one of his people uh, for a task. So you'll read, for example, in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua being commissioned to do the work of God, or, or Moses in the book of Exodus. And as God commissions his people, the thing he says to them all the time is, I will be with you, or I will never leave you or forsake you. And the same kind of thing is going on here. As God commissions his New Testament people to do his mission, he says, I will be with you. And he's not only with us for a little bit of time, He says he will be with us always. So he's always with us, and he will be with us to the very end of the age. You may remember the the phrase, the end of the age, from Matthew 24 and 25, when he talks about his second coming. The end of the age is the return of Jesus Christ. And the return of Jesus Christ is when the mission of Jesus Christ is done and fully completed. So Jesus will be with us until the work is done, which is when he returns. 
Now, when we read of Jesus being with us, it's obviously not his physical body. His, he, his physical body is with his Father in heaven, but it is by God the Holy Spirit living in his people, empowering them to do the work he has given us to do. God doesn't leave us alone. He comes and he lives in us. Uh, and next week, we're going to look at that in the book of Acts in, in chapter 2, and we'll see uh, how that came about on the day of Pentecost. But God doesn't leave us alone. He comes, he lives in us. He's with us for the mission. But not only is Jesus with us as individuals through his Spirit, his Spirit is with each Christian. And so therefore, the other way that he is with us is as we fulfill this mission together as a family of believers. We're not called to go out on our own and do all of this work by ourselves. We're called to work together as a church to make disciples of all the nations. And we participate as a body in doing that work. So this should give us confidence as we fulfill this mission. If Jesus is with us, then we can be sure that even our fumbling words, even our failures can be used to bring people into his kingdom and to see them mature in Christ-likeness. So how can you be involved? All sorts of ways, but it is with Jesus with us and with our brothers and sisters as we do this together. Well, Matthew ends with this great commission. And he begins here with a few disciples. And we're going to see in the book of Acts uh, how that grows into more and more disciples. And it's gone on through the history of the church. And even right now, the world is still being turned upside down as more and more people from more and more nations are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and being his disciples. Just to encourage us in this, I'm going to uh, uh, show a video uh, that just gives uh, a, a visual uh, kind of graphic of how the church grew from uh, really a hundred and we'll see in, the, in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, just 120 disciples. Uh, so the church at the beginning was really about the size of the membership of Pelsall Evangelical Church. That was God's kingdom uh, at the time. But God, through the power of his Holy Spirit in his people, as they have gone out, has grown and grown and grown. So this uh, video takes us up to uh, 2015, which was when um, the video was made, so it couldn't go any further than that. Uh, but I think it's still helpful uh, for us to get this, this vision of what God has done uh, throughout the last couple of thousand years.
Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that this commission given to your disciples continues on. We thank you that, uh, as we've seen uh, just there, the, the, the gates of hell do not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Empires rise and fall, but your kingdom goes on forever. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to know how we can be involved in this great commission that you've given uh, your disciples, each of us. We pray not just, though, for, uh, for Pelsall, but we pray that your kingdom would come all over the world. We continue to pray uh, for places where your word is not known, where Jesus has not been heard of. Send workers to those harvest fields. We pray that you would bring many people into your kingdom. And we thank you that you will continue to do that until Jesus returns. We thank you for saving us. We're amazed that we are part of your kingdom. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our final song calls us to hear the call of the kingdom and with passion to make the name of Jesus known. the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Amen.
drives us to our knees. I need that undiminished rebukes our slothfully.